0: We're talking about love today. And as I studied this week, I thought there's no way I can cram this into 45. So I figured I just won't. We'll just go for two hours. Okay. Sound good? All right. <laughs> Visitors, that was a joke. I'm not going to go for two hours. <laughs> just going to go for an hour and a half. All right. Would you turn in your Bible to Psalm 103? Psalm 103. As you get there, would you please stand with me in honor of the reading of the Word of God? Psalm 103. We're going to read the whole thing. So follow along or listen to the words of David inspired by the Holy Spirit. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. He remembers that we are dust. As for man, his days are like grass. He flourishes like a flower of the field, for the wind passes over and it is gone, and its place knows it no more. But the steadfast love of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting on those who fear him, and his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenant and remember to do his commandments. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his kingdom rules over all. Bless the Lord. O you his angels, you mighty ones who do his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, all his hosts, his ministers who do his will. Bless the Lord, all his works, in all places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you this morning, we give you praise, we come to you humbly, as we realize your love for us, as we... We've sung these songs today about the birth of your son, your only son that you sent to earth. He lived a life of love towards those around him and even towards us as he kept the law. He never sinned. And then he went to a cross, the only person who did not deserve to die on the cross, and yet he did it in our place for our sin as our substitute. And father you raised him from the dead. Death had no hold on him, and now he sits at your right side, uh, at your right hand. He rules and reigns. He intercedes for us. He works all things for the good of those who love him. What a mighty God we serve, and your love is overwhelming to us. Your love is undeserved, So help us this morning, God, to internalize something from your magnificent love. I pray for those this morning who need to hear that they are loved by you. Would you speak to them this morning? And I pray for those who are taking your love for granted. Who do not understand unconditional love. They abuse it. Father, this morning, would you convict them of their sin? And Lord, if anyone here this morning does not know you, they have not repented of their sins, they have not turned and put their faith in the death and resurrection of your Son, that today would be the day, that this morning would be a morning of rejoicing in heaven as people turn to you. So God, guide us this morning as we study your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Love, Is a burning thing. And it makes a fiery ring. Bound by wild desire. I fell into a ring of fire. The taste of love is sweet. When hearts like ours meet. I fell for you like a child. Oh. That's four H's. But the fire went wild. Uncontrollable. Passionate love by The Man in Black, and that is a taste of so many of our songs, isn't it? Um, I decided to look for love songs on the internet to try to get a taste for, and I just gave up because there were there were too many. Um, there's one, you may have heard it, that says something like, I can't help falling in love with you. Um, listen to a song about a girl's upteenth breakup, and that Um, She and her boyfriend are never, ever, ever getting back together. (laughs) Like, ever. And I thought, is this love? Um, Is this it? I mean, is that what our young people have to look forward to? Um, Multiple, 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 multiple relationships and breakups. Looking for rekindled passion every time. In our culture, love is sentimentalized, it's reduced to mere emotion and feeling. Um, For my dad's sake, he asked me to quote a song from the 70s, I think it says something like, love is like oxygen, and I'm not going to go any further than that. Some of you, that brings up bad memories. It's evident in our songs, in our movies, in our TV shows, in our divorce rates, that we do not know what love is. A song says, what is love, baby don't hurt me. That does not answer the question, nor does the rest of the song. And that is, in a microcosm, our culture trying to grasp at this view of love. And inevitably, we are influenced by this view of love. Um, No matter how hard we try, we must be to some degree influenced by the world around us and by the view of love. Some of you um, just absolutely love movies. How many of you love movies? It's okay. You can admit it. All right. Um, it is difficult to watch a movie and see true love exhibited. Now, there are some that do it and do it well. And we're thankful for that. But so often we're deadened to what's actually going on. Oh, this is so cute. Never mind that they're not married and that they're having a child out of wedlock and that this is a bad idea and this is against God's law. It's cute. It's cute. See, and then cuteness begins to override what true love is. D.A. Carson said this, The love of God has been sanitized, democratized, and above all, sentimentalized. And I don't come this morning to tell you that you should be uh, ramrod straight, no emotions. What I want to do is I want to show you what the Bible has to say about God's love. And then we'll model our love based on his love. If you pull out your notes, you've got a, a bunch of notes. How many points did I make today? Eight? Nine? Nine. I could have made like 37, but we're going to keep it to nine. We've got a definition here, and holy smokes, trying to define love <laughs> was very difficult. So we just went simple, all right? I do not claim any uh, inspiration. The Lord did not appear to me in a dream for this definition. It is fallible. You are free to critique it. As soon as I'm done with the sermon. The definition that we're going to go on is, God's love is the eternal, purposeful, selfless giving of himself to and for others. God's love is the eternal, purposeful, selfless giving of himself to and for others. It's really important that we have that word purposeful. It's really important that we have that word selfless. Because God's love is not moody. He doesn't love when he feels like it. He doesn't love when he's feeling a little more emotional. This takes us back to an attribute that we've already covered. The immutability, the unchangeability of God. His love does not fluctuate. That's really, really important. And some of you really, really need to hear that this morning. In fact, we all do. So let's explore love, let's explore love, and get your Bibles ready, get your fingers stretched out, because here we go. We're going to explore the love of God. Number one, point number one, God's love is complicated. Complicated, and I will not sing that song. God's love is complicated. He has one great love. Described in many ways in the Bible. So we don't want to like partition God's love. That 25% of his love goes here and 13% goes here. Uh, we got to be very careful when we do that. However, God's one love is described in various ways throughout Scripture. Um, His love is in so many ways so much higher than ours that we must investigate this. God's love does not clash with his other attributes. We've said that about the other attributes. None of these clash. They're not opposed to each other. There's not a a wrestling match going on in God's head. He doesn't have a angel on one shoulder and a demon on the other, and he's trying to make a decision. No, his, his love does not clash, not even with his justice and his wrath, which we'll hear about next week. John MacArthur says this, We must maintain a carefully balanced perspective as we pursue our study of God's love. God's love cannot be isolated from His wrath and vice versa. Nor are His love and wrath in opposition to each other, like some mystical yin-yang principle. Both attributes are constant, perfect, without ebb or flow. God Himself is immutable, unchanging. He is not loving one moment and wrathful the next. His wrath coexists with His love. Therefore, the two never contradict. Such are the perfections of God that we can never begin to comprehend these things. Above all, we must not set them against one another as if there were somehow a discrepancy in God. God is always true to himself and true to his word. That is a good word for us. And so God's love is complicated. We must not make it simplistic. Um, So often uh, you say, God is love, and we leave it there. And that is Bible, so that is true. But we must be careful that we don't generalize things and just throw it up there. God is love. Okay, we got it. We're done. We have to investigate and see um, how this works in the Bible because we know in our own experience that that does not answer very many questions. That does not help us often in so many parts of life. And so God's love is complicated. This is not an easy subject. One of the books that I read to study this week and that you should buy (laughs) is called The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God. The Difficult Doctrine of the Love of God by D.A. Carson. It is a magnificent book dealing with a lot of these issues. Let's move on to point number two. God's love is an eternal love. The members of the Trinity love each other. God's love is an eternal love, and the members of the Trinity love each other. Turn to the book of John, sometimes called the disciple of love, the one who Jesus loved, John 17. And this is going to show us God's eternal love, because it must start within God. Because God is one, and yet God is three. God in three persons, blessed trinity. And so we must come to love with an understanding of who God is first. John 17, this is Jesus' high priestly prayer. Start in verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one. I in them and you in me, that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am to see my glory that you have given me because, check this out, you loved me when? Before the foundation of the world. God loved, oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. God loved himself before there was anything else the father the son and the holy spirit existed have always existed in perfect love for each other the father loves the son the father loves the spirit the son loves the father the son loves the spirit the spirit loves the father the spirit loves the son they needed nothing else We've talked about this with self-sufficiency and self-existence. God did not need to create anything in order to display His love. His love was already on full display among the members of the Trinity ages and eons ago. Turn back a page or two to John 14. And we'll see it the other way around. So in John 17, Jesus comments on the Father's love for Him before the foundation of the world. And in John 14 verse thirty one Jesus claims that he does the he I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father, the Father loves the Son, and the Son loves the Father. Now there is no place in the Bible that explicitly says that the Holy Spirit loves um, the Father, the Holy Spirit loves the Son, but as we read through Scripture, we cannot doubt that that is the case, as the Holy Spirit submits himself to the father, is sent by the father, the son sends the spirit to us, and there is perfect obedience and yet perfect coherence in the Godhead, in the trinity. And this blows our minds, but this is essential to understand love. Because God didn't make the world and make Adam and Eve and say, all right, let's try this love thing out. It wasn't a trial run. He already was loving. He already was Showing and displaying his love amongst the three persons of the Godhead from all eternity. That is foundational. Point number three, God's love is a giving love. God's love is a giving love. And and I've got all kinds of of scripture passages there for you that that illustrate this. Uh, Perhaps you may know a verse, John 3, 16. It's so familiar, maybe you don't know it. So I'm going to read it slowly. For God so loved the world that He gave, loved, gave, His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have eternal life. God's love is a giving love. In our definition, we said that God's love is the eternal, purposeful, selfless giving of Himself to and for others. Turn with me to Ephesians 5 because we just have to look at this one. Again, there are passages that we're not going to go to that are in your notes, but you should go to them when you go home today or tonight or tomorrow morning in your devotions and look at some of these magnificent passages. Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse 2. And walk in love. As Christ loved us, here it is again. He loved us, so what? And gave himself up for us. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Christ loved us. And then it logically follows. He gave himself. Go down further in the chapter. When it's talking about husbands and wives. Husbands are to model their love for for their wife. On what? Husbands love your wives. As Christ loved the church. And gave himself up for her. He loved the church. And therefore he gave himself up for the church. Side note. Husbands, that's your job, is to be Jesus in your marriage. (laughs) Good luck. (laughs) Love your wife as Christ loved the church. That is actually what we are modeling in our marriages. Men, when you love your wife, ladies, when you submit to your husband, you are showing the world the relationship between Jesus and His church. Which is why divorce lies about lies about the relationship between Jesus and the church. And so we see here this beautiful love. And it is a giving love. Because he loved, he gave. And this is seen supremely at the cross, is it not? The cross is where we see all of God's attributes come together. And and we see love. Go to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, I asked the Lord as I studied this week to to overwhelm me with his love. And it's easy to get academic and to be looking up resources and to look on a concordance and find where all the uses of love are and to lose love while studying love. And I think it came full circle when we were singing this morning of God's love for us in Christ. Romans 5, an awesome passage, but we have time for verses 6 through 8. christ died for us keep reading the passage it goes on to say we were his enemies who dies for an enemy you kill your enemies this is the giving love of god he loved us and so gave his son on the cross in our place for our sin as nick said this morning jesus says that the greatest love is the one who gives his life for his friends And so we are enemies, we are ungodly, we are sinners, and we are friends. Amazing. Well, what do we get out of this? And this is where I got the title for the message. What do we get out of this? Well, we get God. Um, Oftentimes we talk about the benefits that we receive. Eternal life, we like that, that sounds good. Uh, We don't like eternal hell, that sounds bad. And so we enjoy that, we enjoy benefits that God has given us, and yet so often we enjoy the gifts and forget the giver. This would be like on Christmas morning, uh, not that any child has ever done this, but rejoicing so much in the gifts that maybe, perhaps, they forget to thank the giver. And this is our problem. We enjoy all these gifts that God has given us, and oftentimes we forget the giver who gave the gifts. Would we still love God if there were no gifts, but there was a giver? Or ask it this way, would you want to be in heaven and enjoy all the benefits if God were not there? It would not be heaven if God were not there. Why do you think the elders are throwing their crowns back to Him? They don't have nothing to give except what He has given to them. We get God. Revelation 21 and 22, we see His face. There are no more tears. We're face to face with the God of the universe, and that's what we get. That is our inheritance. There are side benefits and there are blessings, but we get God because he gives himself to us. What a wonderful love that God has shown to us. There is a hymn that goes like this. On the mount of crucifixion, fountains opened deep and wide. Through the floodgates of God's mercy flowed a vast and gracious tide. Grace and love like mighty rivers poured incessant from above. And heaven's peace and perfect justice kissed a guilty world in love. At the cross we see God's giving love. And yet there's more aspects of God's love. It does not end there. Number four in your notes, God's love is a providential love. God's love is a providential love. You see this in Matthew 6, that that He knows when a bird falls from the sky. He knows the number of, of hairs on your head. He gives rain to the just and the unjust. He is providentially loving to all. Psalm 136 is a psalm that talks about love in every single verse. This is the most repetitive passage in The scriptures, because each verse ends with, For his steadfast love endures forever. And as the psalmist nears the end, he not only rejoices in being rescued from foes, but in verse 25 he says, He who gives food to all flesh, for his steadfast love endures forever. Read the book of Isaiah and see God giving to his creatures. It's providential love he just, he gives, he provides. God providentially loves, especially those made in his image. And number five, God's love is an electing love. I did just say that. Let's go into this. God's love is an electing love, electing love. And we have several examples throughout scripture of this. In Deuteronomy chapter 7, you need to go there, because this passage is phenomenal. Deuteronomy chapter 7. We're going to read just verses 6 through 8. This follows chapter 6, which the Shema is given to love the Lord your God. All that you are to love Him, to obey Him. And then chapter 7 Yahweh tells his people through Moses about his choosing of them, his election of them. Deuteronomy 7 verse 6, For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you to be a people for his treasure possession out of all the peoples who are on the face of the earth. Take this to heart. It was not because you were more in number than any other people that the Lord set his love on you. Set his love on you chose, freely set his love on you, and chose you, for you are the fewest of all peoples. But it is because the Lord, what? Loves you. It is because the Lord loves you and is keeping the oath that he swore to your fathers. That the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of slavery, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Israel was chosen not for anything about them, but because merely God loved them. He bestowed, set His love on them and chose them to be His peoples. He had mighty, strong nations with great kings with vast wealth to choose from. And instead He started with one man, one old man, with one old wife, with no children. And from that impossible beginning, created a new people, the people of Israel. And yet there is yet another new people. Go to the book of Ephesians. I told you we'd be moving. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. I still have enough physical Bibles that I can hear pages turning. How many of you are using an app right now? Using an app for your computer for your Bible? That's awesome. Very good. God's word on a screen. Ephesians 1. In the beloved, in him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Why did God save Israel? Why has God chosen a church? Why did God, Christian, save you? You were unlovely. There's not a lot of helpful illustrations to use. I've tried to think through some illustrations here. I feel that probably most of you have some kind of benevolent feelings toward cute babies. Because they're cute. It is hard to not smile, laugh, make little goo goo noises, and you know, subtract many years off of your life to play with a baby because they're cute. God did not choose us because we're cute. Oh, look at little Fred. And whichever one you want to do. Look at little Fred down there. What a guy. What a guy. I want him on my team. That was not the case. I like you Freds. But that was not the case. Deuteronomy 7 and Ephesians 1 say, In love, because of his love. God saved you. Not for anything you would do, not for anything you could earn, but because of His love. He saved you. Number six, God's love is a covenant love. A covenant love. This is very important and stretches throughout Scripture. This is very important to understand. So go to Exodus 34. We've been here before with the attributes. We'll be here again, I'm sure. Exodus chapter 34. Moses on Mount Sinai. The people down below. Cavorting around a golden calf. Calling it Yahweh. Turning on the God they said 15 chapters before. That they would obey and serve and have no other gods before him. And even then... Here is what Yahweh, the God of Israel, says to Moses about his people. Exodus 34, 5-7. through 7. Imagine this scene. The Lord, Yahweh, descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord, Yahweh. The Lord passed before him and proclaimed, Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love, faithfulness, keeping his steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty, visiting the iniquity of the fathers on the children and the children's children, the third and fourth generation. God revealing the essence of who he is. Moses responds in verse 8 by quickly Bowing his head toward the earth and worshiping. This is our God, the covenant God. In, in, the, in the Hebrew, this is a special verb for love. It's chesed. It's a fun word to say. Let's just all just say it. Ready? Chesed. Oh, good. Got, we got some back of the throat stuff going on there. Chesed, his covenant love, or in, your, in the ESV, his steadfast love. I believe maybe in the end, loving kindness, um, different ways of translating it has so many nuances. It means loyalty and faithfulness and love and commitment. This is God's love for his people. And this verse right here, this verse is repeated throughout the law, the narrative section of the scripture, the poetic, the poetic section of the scripture, the prophets. This phrase is, is repeated over and over and over and over and over again that he will keep his steadfast love. And that's really important while we follow the story of Israel, because he had no reason from Israel to keep his steadfast love with them. They repeatedly turned their backs on their covenant God. Quickly, sometimes, turned their backs. And yet, God keeps his steadfast love. We have a, a Bible storybook called the Jesus Storybook Bible. Uh, if you have a little kid, you should get the Jesus Storybook Bible. It has great art, and it's fantastically theological for little ones, and it's, it's, you can grasp it, it's great. This is how the author describes God's chesed love. She calls it God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. And that's a good way to put it, and adults can hear that too. God's never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. That is God's covenant love. It's repeated throughout Scripture, as I said, and it even comes into the New Testament where we see even a better covenant than the old. Jesus establishes the new covenant, and he will not break it. His covenant love extends to the church, to his bride, to his people, who he loves steadfastly. He never stops loving them. He does not give up loving them. His love is unbreakable. And it is always and forever. That is God's covenant love. Number seven. We can't run out of ideas. They just keep coming. God's love is a familial love. Like family. God's love is a familial love. For example, husband, father, mother. God's love is described in all these ways. He's described as a husband loving his wife. He's described as a father loving his children. He's described as a mother loving her children. And, and the reason this is, is because we can't really understand all of God's love. And so God comes down to us and uses terms and pictures and images that we understand. And so in the book of Hosea a fantastic picture of God's love, we see Hosea's love for his prostitute wife, Gomer. That he marries her, she bears his children, he rescued her out of prostitution, she leaves him and goes back into prostitution. And God tells Hosea, go buy your wife back. And the whole picture is God's love for Israel. That though she turns on him and commits adultery, with others, in our modern parlance, cheats on him, that he goes back and spends money, capital, expense on her, and loves her as a husband. Again, in Ephesians 5, um, that whole section on husbands and wives is predicated on this kind of love of a husband for a wife that Jesus has for the church. And it's a family love. And this is where we, we need to, we cannot take emotional love out. We cannot leave emotion out. God loves his people. And it is not an intellectual love. It is not a professorial love. I love you in the sense that I can define it. No, there is emotion on God's part. Read Hosea. He says, how can I give you up, O Ephraim? How can I give you up? In other places, God calls his people the apple of his eye. Listen, this is the love that God loves you with. You are family. You are, in different ways, you are wife of God, son of God, daughter of God, and he loves you in all of those ways. Jesus, standing over Jerusalem, weeps, at seeing the city that rejects the prophets and will send him to a cross and kill him and says, I would long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks. just under the wings. What a, what a, what a good picture. What a warm and fuzzy, literally, picture of God's love. God's love as a father to his children. When Moses goes before Pharaoh, he tells Moses to say... God tells Moses to say, tell Pharaoh, Israel is my son. And in the Andrew authorized version says, mess with my son and I will kill yours. This is God's love. If I let my daughter run out into the street because I'm afraid to yell at her, I am not loving. What is loving for me to do is to scream at the top of my lungs that she get out of the street. What's more, I will run into the street and grab my daughter because she's my daughter. She's family. And that is a slight glimpse of how God loves us. This is also where God's love is jealous. We see this throughout scripture. He's a jealous God and he has a jealous love. It is right that you be jealous of your spouse. It is right that you be jealous for your children. It is a good thing. If a husband finds out that a wife is cheating on him or vice versa, it is not okay. It is not love to say, well, if that's what makes you happy, should we have them over for dinner? That's insane. There's no jealousy. There should be jealousy. Protection. Desire for uniqueness. Desire for exclusivity. God's jealous love comes to play in this place. Number eight, God is surely love, but love is surely not God. And this is a mistake that our culture makes because we love that phrase, God is love. Everybody likes that. I don't, I I don't, maybe there might be people that don't, but have you ever met anyone that if you said, do you believe that God is love? Most people would say yes. Now, most people might not know anything about God except that He is love, but they like that part. But we've got to be careful in how we do this. So let's go to 1 John, where this is stated twice. 1 John chapter 4. God is love. God is love. Could not get the song out of my head. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Anybody know that one? Yeah? Beloved, yeah, oh man. (laughs) I I couldn't read this verse without thinking of that. What a good way to communicate Scripture through song. Don't forget those kids' songs when you grow up and become mature. They are helpful. They are true. They are right. Beloved, verse 7 of 1 John 4. Let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God. Why? Because God is love. Now, this is the complicated nature of God's love. And we do not, unfortunately, have time to dive into this. But when we say God is love, we must be careful that we are not saying, even if we don't say it, but it might come across that love is God. And so we start to go down the road of pantheism. We start to go down... The road of some just weird cultic things. A lot of cults have taken this verse and, and ripped it out of context. God is surely love, but love is surely not God. Because we see, even in First John chapter 1, turn the page or even look across the page. Um, when we get to First John 1, 5, this is the message we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light. Okay, so same kind of construction. God is love, God is light. Go to John chapter 4, Jesus talking to the woman at the well. God is spirit. Okay? This is really important that we get this. God is love. Why? Because not that God defines love, but that we see love in God's essence. Who he is reveals to us love. God is love, but love is not God. But when we practice love and when we imitate God's love, we are like him in that sense. And if we practice and portray that love, it is, in essence, not our love, but God's love that we are accessing, that we are appropriating. So we've we got to be careful when we say God is love, because that's not the gospel in full. Because you say God is love to somebody, they very well may misunderstand what you are saying. Because God is not love in the fact that he will just let you do whatever you want to do and get away with it. And that's too often what we mean when we say unconditional love. And unconditional love is true in a sense. But unconditional love is not true in saying, don't worry about your sin. Don't worry about getting to know a majestic God. Don't worry about all that stuff because God is love. And we've abandoned love in saying that God is love. We must define it. We must search all of scripture to see God's love. And see, love, love, right? This is a cliche. Love is a verb. And so we not only look for love as a noun in the scriptures, but we look and see how God acts out His love. We see how He portrays His love. If I tell my wife, I love you and don't talk to her for five weeks, she does not believe me. I said it. I love you. But if I do not portray it, it is not true. We ought to take these things into consideration. Okay, last point before we get to the implications, point number nine: God's love does not preclude discipline. God's love does not preclude discipline. God's love is is so vast and nuanced that in His love He disciplines. And our world is losing that, but we see it. I mean you if you were disciplined well ever by parents, and I know that that's not the case for some of you. If you were ever disciplined well and you look back on it, you can say that was love. My dad loved me by disciplining me. Whether it was through a spanking, whether through it was taking something away. He loved me in his discipline. Revelation 3, you don't have to go there, verse 19. Jesus is writing to the church of Laodicea and he says this to this lukewarm church. Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. That is a good thing. If you're disciplined by God, that means you're a child of God. Because parents discipline their children. In fact, Hebrews 12 says, if you're not disciplined by God, you're an illegitimate child. And so we ought to welcome God's discipline of us because it means He loves us and cares for us as a father should love and care for his son. Okay, quickly... How do you do implications and responses to God's love? But we're going to do three. There's probably about 75.3 million, but we're going to do three. God's love requires response. God's love requires response. Matthew 22, Jesus is asked, what's the greatest commandment? Love. Who? The Lord your God. How? With everything you are. What's related to it? Well, the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. They're, they're interrelated. You cannot love God and not love your neighbor. John goes to the great lengths to display that in 1 John. You can't say, I love you, brother. Do you need something? Sorry, I'm not going to give it to you. That's not love. That does not display love. And so if we love God, we love our neighbor. And we love God with our whole being. Psalm 9710 says those who love God hate evil. So a very clear implication is if you love God, then you ought to hate evil in all its forms. And that includes when it's on your TV. And that includes young men when you rejoice in death and carnage on TV and in movies and in your video games. Be very careful. We, we love God and so we obey his commands. It is natural. First John five three. If you love me, you'll obey my commands. My commands are not burdensome. burdensome. If a loving God gives you commands, therefore you're good, so you ought to do them. Here's one. 2 Corinthians eight nine talks about giving generously. Why? Because Jesus did. He was rich. He became poor. Why? So that you, because you're poor, might become rich. And that's all in an argument for being generous. And they, oh, here goes the pastor. He's asking for money. <laughs> No, here is the deal. If God is a generous God to you, then you ought to respond by being a generous person because God was generous to you. So we're generous to each other. I rejoice to see the benevolent fund having, having money given to it so that people in the church that need money can do things that they weren't able to do or are able to pay bills that they couldn't pay. Why? Because we love each other. Because we're generous. Because God is generous to us. Number two, God's love is our model for loving others. This applies to our model. Uh, this applies to our Christian friendships. This applies to spouses in marriage. Our model is Jesus. This applies to parents in disciplining. Proverbs thirteen twenty four says this, parents, whoever spares the rod hates his son. But he who loves him is diligent to discipline him. Love means diligence and disciplining. That's not fun. I'm learning that. But it is love. The church and evangelism, God is our model in love there. If we love each other, we model to the world God's love for us. And they'll know we are Christians by what? By our righteousness. By our good works, partially, they're kicking the ball on the roof. That's exciting. But we're going to love them. All right. In our evangelism, as we model love, the early Latin writer Tertullian said this about the love of the church. The one thing that converted him to Christianity, besides, you know, the electing love of God, was not the arguments they gave him. Because he could find a counterpoint for every argument they would present. You ever met anyone like that? Man, they're smarter than me. They're never going to become a Christian. This is what Tertullian said. They demonstrated something I didn't have. The thing that converted me to Christianity was the way they loved each other. The early Christian, when everyone was running away from the plagues, would run to those with the plague, die themselves in taking care of them. And a Roman official, in writing, we have it, says they're doing what the Roman government will not do because they loved the people so much that they would give their lives to nurse them even to a death or maybe some of them back to life when the plague hit. It is so important that we love each other. Church splits and divisions and disputes deny God's love to the world. They show a a world out there that, that God is not really love if his people cannot love each other. And so we model love to each other, we forgive each other, we look past grievances, we deal with issues, and that shows the world God's love. Number three, last one, God's love secures our hope. God's love secures our hope. Romans 8, God's love secures our hope. This is maybe the greatest passage, how do you say that? But maybe the greatest passage in the scriptures. Romans eight twenty eight. And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. For those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, in order that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom He predestined, He also called. Those whom He called, He also justified. And those whom He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? This is the argument. nor job loss, nor spouse dying, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. That is the love of God for us and it secures our hope. He will never stop loving us. He will always continue to love us in his familial, covenantal, electing love. There is a a phenomenal, I said that word already, but there's not a lot of other words to describe this hymn. And the last verse says this, Could we with ink the ocean fill? Think of that picture. If we could fill the ocean with ink. And were the skies of parchment made, were every stalk on earth a quill, and every man a scribe by trade, to write the love of God above would drain the ocean dry. Nor could the scroll contain the whole, though stretched from sky to sky. That's the love of God. And I fear that many of you are not experiencing that. That many of you are rejecting that. And this morning I would plead with you to see the love of God. Stop making excuses. Look at this God that we're studying, all His attributes. His love is great and He loves you. Come to Him. Father, we're overwhelmed by Your love this morning. What petty things we concern ourselves with. What stupid things we complain about. How distracted we are. You love us. You gave your son. You give yourself to us. Amazing love. How can it be? Thou, my God, wouldst die for me. Jesus, we thank you for substituting yourself on the cross for us. We did not deserve it. We did nothing to earn it. And yet, you came. Christmas commemorates this. You not only became a baby, you became an embryo. You lived for nine months in a teenage girl's womb, the Lord of the universe. Your first bed was a saliva, straw-ridden trough. You endured beatings and floggings from men that you made and men's bodies that you kept together according to your will. And you were placed on a cross when you could have burst off it and slaughtered all of those. And yet you stayed on the cross for me, for us. Lord, we thank you. And as we end today, we remember the words of Paul and we pray them ourselves that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your heart through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us